Greetings. Greetings, everyone. We're so glad to have you here tonight. Give yourself a hand for coming. Warm yourself up. We're so glad you're here. A few others will join us. We're just going to do a casual little introduction about a few things. We've told you that we have an app that you can go on to. Our church's um, theme is Whosoever. Here's a notebook I ordered. It said, Love the Whosoever. How cool is that? And then here is a Whosoever. Love the Whosoever. Serve the Whosoever. Be the Whosoever. How awesome is that? Michael, come over here and let's model the shirt, my son-in-law. We are the whosoever, Church of the Harvest, John 3, 16, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Austin, what's the deets on that? Okay, he's not, that's Ryan and his son. Austin's in the media suite. Austin, telepathically tell me, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know. So here is one I got, and it says, Love the Whosoever Church of the Harvest. Yeah, and that's got my water in it. So um, there is a, we're not making anything off of this. There's a small little, little like $1 thing on each unit that we get that helps to keep the store up. But Austin has, or Courtney, do you remember how you ordered? She's going to look it up right now as we stand here before you. No pressure, baby, no pressure. Thank you, Austin. You're the man. So it'll be a link on top of the Church of the Harvest website. So it's just another way. There's shirts. There's all kind of things. I can't go through all of them. There's a lot of product on there. Austin designed them. And (laughs) Pastor Chris, he may try to interrupt you. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. No. So so I want to limit our introduction. I mentioned that's a little bit more casual. We hope to start closer to seven in the future, but we're so excited about this tonight, this four-week series. Aren't we excited and about what God is going to do, and others will be joining us. We're trying to get the word out. So for four weeks, um, Pastor Chris Goins, who is a seasoned pastor, an incredible communicator, he's a writer for ISO. He and Janice, Janet, I talk to Janet all afternoon, I'm going to call her Janice. It's a whole nother story. We've had some fun this afternoon. But she is immensely talented. Is there anything she can't do? No, I mean, she is. And I, I hope they get to know you. She's an incredible realtor. And I just think she's an entrepreneur. I just see all kinds of things out of her and an amazing singer. So we just honor them. Can you give both of them a hand and a God bless you? So we're so thankful for them. And when the Lord put this in my heart, I'd actually thought about it last fall to do like an intensive weekend. I just felt like the Lord said, call them. So I did, and it just came around that Pastor Chris was willing to give four weeks of his life. At the end of this, we are starting to start back taking a Wednesday night offering, and at the end of this, we're going to bless him, um, and I'll explain what that's about, because I can't even explain to you the hours you put into one hour of speaking. It's impossible. You that have done it, it's not like one hour. It's like 40 hours, and um, so we want to invest in them as well. This is so exciting. We are so glad to have him here. You've got your, he'll explain your worksheets. That's your folder to keep. So please give a welcome, and he'll go to the stage with this microphone. Pastor Chris Goins. Woo! 
need to pass around it. Well, good evening, Church of the Harvest. Oh, it is, it's so good to be with you. And uh, it's especially great to celebrate Valentine's Night with you. So happy Valentine's to everyone. Happy Valentine's to my wife. She's here, and uh, it's cool to hang out with you tonight, sweetheart. And happy Valentine's, Pastor Rhonda. Everyone give Pastor Rhonda just a warm round of appreciation for the leadership she provides this church family. So you've got some notes. I want you to take those notes out. And let me give you, let me give you a little heads up about what we'll be doing. Pastor Rhonda has asked me uh, for years, since around 1992, I've been formed by the work of John Maxwell. I went to my first staff position after being what I felt was a colossal failure as a senior pastor. I said to my wife, you know, I would give anything if I could work under an experienced leader and just learn the work. Because I feel like I really have so much to learn about serving God's people. When someone called, invited me to join their team, I did. He walked in one day and gave me a John Maxwell book. It was about a week after I'd been there. And it was a book titled Developing the Leader Within You. Now, that book has been re-released, and there's a 2.0 version of it. It's excellent. I just reread it last year. Steal from this. In 2016, another friend of mine called me up and said, Chris, have you read John Maxwell's Intentional Living? I'd gotten out of Maxwell for a few years. I just hadn't been as attentive to the books that he was releasing. I said, I've not. He said, you need to read it, and you need to read it immediately. I read it. It's, it's on my top five of books that have formed and shaped me. Immediately, I began to look up, where is John Maxwell going to be? I need to go hear him speak. I just feel that there's something I need to receive from him. And I found out about the John Maxwell team. I joined the John Maxwell team, and I've been a member since 2016, and I love the work of John Maxwell. Now, I said all that to say this. The next few weeks are going to be a little different in terms of teaching. I mean, you look at that outline, it's exhausting. Because this is my job. My job is to teach through this entire book in four weeks. So I've attempted to bite off tonight an introduction plus three chapters. Now, one thing you can say when you look at that outline is this. Well, at least this sermon is not pointless because there, <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of points. And I wouldn't qualify this. I wouldn't qualify this as a sermon. This is a conversation. And in fact, what I would love to do is finish early enough so that you and I could do some dialogue, some Q&A. Now, when I say Q&A, I'm not assuming that I'm a know-it-all. What I am hoping is that for the next four weeks, we'll stand up. And we not only hear the truth, but we discuss truth. So I'm also going to take some liberty with Maxwell's material as well. I could just teach right through it, or what I could do is give you a pastoral perspective on it, and that's what I'm going to attempt to do. So let's jump in, okay? This is one of my favorite stories. Several years ago, a little boy attended the circuit. 
uh, he somehow convinced his parents to buy him a huge cone of cotton candy. Uh, the cotton candy cone completely covered this kid. It was gigantic. It was almost half the size of the little boy. Somebody spotted this little boy eating this massive pile of cotton candy, smiled, looked at the kid and said, my goodness, how could such a little boy eat such a huge pile of cotton candy? That's almost as big as you. The little boy squared his shoulders, straightened up, looked back at the person who said that and said, well, mister, I'll just have you know, I'm a whole lot bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Now, let me tell you the reason I believe Pastor Rhonda is taking four weeks. The reason I'm spending four weeks with you to walk through what I believe is one of the most important books you're likely to read. It's because of this. I believe you're bigger on the inside than anything you're about to face on the outside. And if you're not committed to growth, particularly with what's coming down the pike this year, you may not have in your arsenal what's required to face the challenges we're going to be up against. Now, Paul thinks in a similar manner. That's why when he writes to his younger son in the faith, his protege named Timothy, he writes these words, and I put them for you in your notes. Wherever I put something in your notes, unless it's a fill in the blank, uh, it won't come up on the screen. So here it is. Paul writes, until I get there, focus on the reading of scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch. I love this instruction. So critical. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. So let me give you the introduction. Not out of the book, out of my experience. Here's the first bullet. Growth takes effort and intentionality. Growth takes effort and intentionality. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to give yourself to these things so that everyone can see your progress. Paul is saying, Timothy, give yourself completely and consistently to the pursuit of growth. In fact, your commitment to life changing growth ought to be so radical that people ought to be able to look at the quality of your life and see you growing and maturing right before their eyes. Now, why is this essential that we grow? As people, one of my favorite books, and I've read it a few times, is C.S. Lewis's classic, Mere Christianity. If you haven't read that book, I want to tell you, put it at the top of your reading list, and don't think it's a breeze. It's not easy to read. In fact, it will probably be about the third or fourth time through that you start getting a gist of what Lewis is saying. Here's why growth is important. Listen to what Lewis says about growth and change in that classic. He writes, oh, one of my favorite quotes of all time. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's 
he's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. Love the old English here, abominably. And doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is he's building something quite different than the house you once thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, pulling an extra, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You see, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But God is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Here's why growth is so critical to you. Because of what God wants to do in you. Where you are today isn't where God imagines you six months from now. It's not where God imagines you at the start of 25. Growth is absolutely essential. You know, there are some people who've had a relationship with God for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years of experience. They just have one year repeated 25 times. They're not growing. They're not developing. They're static, stuck, stagnant. They haven't changed. Here's what I'm hoping will ignite within you as you read this book and come to this series of talks, that you'll grow within you a divine dissatisfaction with where you are. A friend of mine, he was a professor for many years at the university level, and I spoke once on a Sunday morning, and after the service, he rushed up. I preached from Ephesians on change and what God wants to do in transforming us into his own image. And he rushed up. He said, there's a formula. Think about it. Call me. We'll discuss it. And this guy was many years my senior. So when he said, we'll discuss it, what that meant is you're taking me out for lunch and I'll break it all down for you at lunch. And I opened it up. This is what the formula said, a formula for growth. It'll come on the screen. BVC greater than R. You say, Chris, that's what it takes to change me. What is D? D is your dissatisfaction with the way things are, with where you are. Dissatisfaction. V, what is V? V is your vision for where you want to be where you believe God wants to take you. And C is the courage to take the next step. He looked at me over lunch and said, Chris, when that is greater than your resistance to change, that's R. He said, then transformation is possible. So that's the first bullet. Growth takes effort and intentionality. Here's the second bullet. Growth isn't automatic. Growth doesn't just happen. Now, we know that in some instances, given the right environment, growth occurs. But Jesus gave us a great parable about the fact that it is the condition of the soil. It is the condition of the soil. It is the condition of the soil that determines the kind of harvest you're going to reap. And what is the soil a symbol of? The soil is your heart. I mean, the seed is powerful. The seed is God's word. 
given any chance, the seed, God's word, is going to produce fruit. The sower is faithful. The sower is either Jesus, sometimes the sower is the minister. The sower is just lavishly throwing out the seed. What is the only element that isn't the same in all of Jesus' story? It's the soil. Growth isn't automatic. You've got to look at the soil of your heart and determine, is this soil that can produce growth? Here's third bullet. Growth isn't optional. 2 Peter 3, 18, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love the NLT there because I think it hints at what Peter is saying. You must grow. You know what I think Peter is doing? Because we, we've read both of his letters. Peter's saying, in light, of, in light of the enormous lengths God has went to for you, you think of this. He placed the Holy Spirit in our heart to do the inside job when it comes to growth. He's given us the word of God that provides us with spiritual nourishment, spiritual food. He placed you in a vibrant church family. To give you friends, fellowship, who will challenge you not to remain static. He's gifted you with not simply a pastor, but pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. He's given us the privilege of prayer that allows us to connect our very real needs with an all-powerful God. But the greatest gift is this. He gave us the gift of his son who created a bridge so that disconnected people like me can connect with a holy God like him. If God went to all of those lengths to reach us, how can we look at the cross, look at the resurrection, look at the Holy Spirit, look at all the gifts he's made available and choose to remain static? Growth isn't an option. God wants you to grow. He longs for you to grow. He longs for you at the end of 24 to be more Christ-like than you were at the beginning of 24. He longs to see the fruit of the Spirit, love in its very dimensions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, goodness, moral virtue and beauty. Faithfulness, loyalty to God, to your commitments to people, gentleness, self-control. He longs to see all of those things much more defined by you. In fact, Ephesians says he's committed to this. Jesus is so committed to your growth that when he presents you to the Father, he expects to present his bride in dazzling white array. Not just barely limping across the finish line, but him saying to the Father, look at what we did with this one, God. We took them from the depths of their depravity, and as they allowed us to work in and through them, we present them before your throne, glorious and radiant, a spotless bride. That's what God desires. Well, I might preach a little bit tonight. You can go ahead and clap your hand for that one. Next bullet, growth never occurs uniformly. This is really critical because it creates a lot of judgmentalism in the body of Christ. Sometimes we look at one another 
and we're surprised because we don't grow at the same pace. I want to remind you of this. It's not in your notes, but you might want to jot it down. Paul dealt with this in Romans 14, 4. He said, who are you to judge someone else's servant? It is to their own master a servant stands or falls. And I love Paul's assumption in the next phrase. He doesn't assume the worst of people who might be struggling or not up to par with him. He says this. He assumes the best. He says, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. So spouses in the room. You're not going to grow uniformly. Sometimes the husband will outpace the wife. Sometimes the wife will outpace the husband. While you are an agent, God uses in one another's sanctification. You're not the Holy Spirit. I've learned the hard way. My wife doesn't need constant reminders from me. Her cell phone actually has an app for that. My home is much more peaceful when I let the cell phone take care of that instead of me. <laughs> here's, here's the next bullet. Growth is never easy. The word progress Paul uses there in 1 Timothy 4.15, it's an interesting word. It's a word used of soldiers. It means to be a pioneer in the advancement. It literally means to go ahead of the troops, clear away the obstacles, and make a clear path to make it easier for them to follow. Wow. This is why growth is so important. When we grow, we make it easier for those coming up behind us to grow. This is why the church is so stunted in 2024, because so many of us have not taken our responsibility as it comes to growth seriously. So we have a malformed group growing up behind us that desperately are looking for people who will demonstrate what growth looks like. Now, I'm not a big sports guy, I'm not a big sports guy at all, but I do enjoy it. And I occasionally read it. When, when I say I occasionally read it, if something strikes my interest, I'll read the article, but I'm not the guy listening to the sports podcast every day or, or all of those things. I just simply don't have time these days. But let me tell you about an article I ran across in 2016, got reminded of it uh, recently. Adrian Peterson, 2016, was featured in an ESPN.com bio with this headline. How long can Adrian Peterson play? Answer might lie in work-life balance. Here's why they were writing the article. In 2011, Peterson tore an ACL. And many thought the moment he tore, running back in the NFL, the moment he tore that ACL, many people thought his career's over. At this level, you don't recover from that kind of injury as a running back and become successful. In 2016, he was 31 years old. What's amazing is after that torn ACL, he came out the next year, rushed for a total of 2,097 yards in one season, second highest in NFL history. And then he was still playing at an elite level in 2016, but they couldn't figure it out. He's 31, he's a running back, in the NFL. What interests me is that 
last year, May of 23, Peterson came back out just to let everybody know, hey, I haven't retired. I think I've got one more season in me. If I can make a team this year, I'll make it. Uh, if I don't, I'll retire. He retired. He wasn't able to make the team, but he was still in the game. This is what gripped me about the article. They interviewed Peterson's trainer, a guy named James Cooper. And they asked James, James, how long can Peterson play? All of us, we saw the theatrics of Tom Brady. I mean, what an amazing player. And they asked Peterson's trainer, how long can Peterson play? James Cooper. James Cooper responded with an anecdote about the first time he raced against USA track and field masters champ Bill Collins. Cooper said it was an all-comers match. I'm like, we've got one heat, then I'm going to make it to the finals. I didn't know who Bill was at that time. Bill, by the way, was 46 years old and showed up at that meet. Cooper said, young gun, he said, I went out there, pow, the gun went off. I'm running, and I feel this old man right next to me. I just want to say, for clarity, 46 is not old. <laughs> he said, <laughs> Cooper said, I thought, and I'm just going to quote him, what the heck? It threw me off when he got even. Collins almost beat Cooper in that race. Next heat, Collins came in second. Cooper said, I think I was 10.3-something. And he was 10.4. I shook his hand, said, holy cow, what you just did is unbelievable. He said, we met, I hired that guy, that 46-year-old, to be my coach. This is when the article got powerful for me. Because as Cooper described that event, he indicated that he learned something that day that Collins almost beat him at 46 years of age. He said, that day I learned something, and it's taught me a valuable lesson about Peterson and how long he can play. He said, it taught me, listen to this quote, it taught me that 40 is not the age to submit. That 50 is not the age to submit. That is a great place for anybody to say amen. If Cooper had talked to a guy named Caleb, he would find out 85 is not the time to submit. If he had talked to Sarah, he could find out that 90 is not the time to submit. If he had talked to Abraham, he would have found out 99 is not the time to submit. I want you to know you're here through this series because you've still got some growing to do. Let me just say, don't submit to age. Don't submit to addictions. Don't submit to labels. Don't submit to your own low expectations. Don't submit to temptation. Don't submit to the enemy. Don't sub submit to excuses. Don't submit to the mountain you're facing. You're too young, regardless of how old you are, to submit. Stop tolerating. Don't submit. Next bullet. I'm going to have to take this jacket off. I've preached myself into sweating. <laughs> Growth isn't for and it isn't about yourself. Keep a close watch on how you live, Paul says to Timothy. 
That's your character. And on your teaching. That's your doctrine. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of, can anybody see it? All who hear. Our sanctification is so essential for the people God's made us responsible for. If you're married, your spouse. If you've got family, your family. If you've got a network of friends, your friends. If you attend school or college, the people you attend school, college with. If you go to work on a daily basis, it's your work associates. They need to see you growing and maturing right before their eyes. It's compelling. Here's the next bullet before we dive into the book. Growth is always possible. So Jan and I, we, we attempt to choose one word at the beginning of the year to define the year for us. We pray about that. We ask God, God, what is my one word for the year? Instead of setting resolutions, we try to land on one word. This year, my word is thrive. It is thrive. Psalm 92, verse 12. But the righteous will thrive like a palm tree. They will grow strong like cedars of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will thrive in the house of the Lord. They will still produce fruit even in old age. I wanted to remember that because I'm getting older. I'm not interested in having any kids. Just want to stay fruitful. They will remain fresh, vibrant, healthy, and green. That's my word. Pastor Rhonda, I wasn't even aware we were going to be covering this. Janet picked her word. You know what her word for this year is? Grow. Colossians 2, 6. But let your roots grow down deep into him. We believe growth is possible. And while we don't consider ourselves old, we know we're closer to the finish line than we are to the starting, starting line. So we want to finish. We want to finish strong. We want to finish together. We want to grow. Anyone ever seen someone who just gave up on life and they remain static? And then have you seen the opposite of that? Particularly in old age, isn't it compelling when you see a senior man or a senior woman with a liveliness about them that makes you want to lean in? With a love about them that makes you want to know more? With a character quality about them that causes you to ask, how was that formed? I want that. I need that. So, two critical questions for you to ask. This is right at the start of Maxwell's book. What are you doing to develop yourself? What are you doing to grow? This will determine your success. This is the second question. What are you going to do to develop others? Because this will determine your significance. Both are critical. So let me do this in the time we have remaining. And I've, I brought my phone up here for this reason, to just give me a judge on how long I'm teaching. 
and what I'm going to do is, is get this. this. This is my job, so I don't want you to think I'm leaving things out. I'm going to go rather quickly through this material. I may pause occasionally and expand. Also, I just made a commitment to myself since I looked at the massive amount of notes. Pastor Rhonda, I prepared. I brought with me 55 pages of notes. There's no way I can cover all of that. So the agreement I made with myself is this. I'll cover what I can, attempt to unpack it in a way that you get it, and then I'll, I've already prepared it for Pastor Rhonda, a PDF of the notes that you've got with all the blanks filled in. But I don't give that out. I want you to work. I only give that out if I don't finish, okay? Just saying. I want you to work as hard as I'm working. Law number one, the law of intentionality. Growth doesn't just happen. I gave you a big idea. Personal growth isn't natural or automatic. It's going to require intentionality and effort. People who want to grow must go out and seize opportunities for growth as if their future depended on it. You know, what's really interesting, when you went to school, preschool, elementary school, high school, college, graduate school, uh, usually we spend somewhere between 12 and 20 years in school. All during those years, throughout that process, someone else is, is planning growth for you. Someone else is planning the syllabus. Someone else is planning the way you'll study and learn. I mean, they take huge textbooks. Do they cover everything in those textbooks? No. They determine this is what I deem is important. Here's what's amazing. Many of us graduate after spending thousands and thousands of dollars on school, and we never take the time to ask ourselves, okay, now, what's my plan for growth now? Because there's not a teacher who's responsible for the plan. If I'm going to grow, I've got to create the plan. Now, this is not a Christian book, and I, I recommend it with some reservations because I don't agree with everything that this guy unpacks. But it's a classic in self-help circles. It's by James Allen. It's called As a Man Thinketh. Anyone familiar with that phrase, as a man thinketh, that comes right out of what? Out of scripture. Whew. I ran across this quote years ago. Maxwell includes it in this book. Here's what James Allen says about our predicament. He writes, people are anxious to improve their circumstances. But they're unwilling to improve themselves. They therefore remain bound. Think about that. People are anxious to improve their circumstances. One thing I know about everyone in this room, everyone watching online, you have circumstances, problems, issues that you would love to change. I wish I could get rid of this. I wish I could change that. All of us have areas that need to be improved. But notice this. People are anxious to improve their circumstances, but they are unwilling to improve themselves. 
the average American after graduation from high school reads about one book a year, if that. The average American. Just by reading this book, just by reading it, you've said that you're not average or ordinary. Just by reading it, because the average American doesn't do it. And this is one of the greatest gifts God's ever given to us. Literacy. The ability to read. People are anxious to improve their circumstances, but they're unwilling to improve themselves. But I don't like reading. But I'm a visual learner. But I'm an audible learner. I understand all of those things. I'm not denigrating any of them. But sometimes you do things simply because you can. There, there are a lot of things I don't like to do. This morning when I woke up, yesterday, I worked from early, early to late at night. I packed in about 1030. And when I woke up this morning, I get up early. I rolled out of bed, went to the restroom, and I convinced myself lay back down for a second. I laid back down for a second, and I thought, oh, I'd love to lay here for a little longer. I mean, the bed is so cozy in the morning, isn't it? It's so cozy. My wife is laying there, and it's so warm, so cozy. And the more I lay there, I thought about what I was thinking. And I'm like, I've got to get out of this bed. I've got, I've got to do what makes for growth. And for me, first thing in the morning, after I wash my face, brush my teeth, is a cup of coffee and the open book in prayer. I began my day like that, and then after I finished that, it's a battle. It's a struggle. I knew what I needed to do next because I was coming to ISO. I was going to be in Cleveland all day. We don't have a shower facility here in this building. So I knew if you're going to get a workout in, your workout's going to be right now, Buster, at 6 in the morning, or it's not happening. Are you content to live with yourself if you don't do what you know you should do? So you know what I did? went in that stupid room where all of my weights are and I started huffing and puffing in. Why? Not because I wanted to but because I've established certain goals in my life certain objectives and I want to live out those objectives. So get past I, I'm trying to say this to people who object to reading a book by saying, I'm not a reader. Tell yourself a different story. Tell your, change the tune of your story. You, you say, I can't read. That, that is another story. That's one of the reasons we have something these days called Audible. Avail yourself of Audible. It's one of the reasons I guarantee you if you go into YouTube and Google 15 laws, 15 invaluable laws of growth, you'll find innumerable videos that will help you get this curriculum in your schools. Tell yourself a different story. People are anxious to improve. 
improve their circumstances, but unwilling to improve themselves. Therefore, they remain down. Remember these two questions. What are you doing to develop yourself? What are you going to do to develop others? So let's talk quickly about some growth traps. Let me get into law number two, give you a glimpse of law number three. Here's the assumption gap. It's I assume that I will automatically grow. I believe we've already dealt with that. Put growth as an appointment on your calendar. It's not automatic. Make it an appointment. Here's number two. The knowledge gap. But Chris, I don't know how to grow. This is where I'm going to encourage everyone here. In fact, I've given you an assignment in your note to develop a plan for growth this week. Now, your plan for growth may not look like my plan for growth. Remember, we talked about uniformity. I'm not looking for that. But I do want to give you six simple habits that I believe stimulate growth. Okay? Here they are. Read every day. Read every day. Here's what I believe that has to start with. Read God's word. Every year I do a Bible reading plan. I read through the Bible once every year. Usually the New Testament and Psalms twice. The Old Testament once. By the way, I just want to say I don't do that because I'm spiritual. I do it because I'm desperate. I, I need to hear from God. Without him, I know this, I'm sunk. So I think God's word needs to be at the top of our reading list. And then read great books that inspire you. Not all reading is created equal. Read books that inspire some kind of nobility and beauty and growth. Even if they're, they're fiction, they should be something that nurtures your spirit, not something that degrades your spirit. Next bullet, listen every day. Now, this is jam-packed. Listen to the people around you. I'm amazed at what I learn from people every day. And I've learned this. Don't cross someone off because of their accent, because of their nationality, because of their ethnicity, because of their lack of formal education. I learn regularly that almost every person can teach me something if I will just have ears to hear. Open, open up your ears. Op open up your heart. Everybody lived through snowpocalypse. I understand that Cleveland didn't get as much snow as we got. We live in the country. We live in Selkirk, and we got eight to ten inches where we live. I mean, I'm talking about we could not pull because we don't have a four-wheel drive. You know, when that happens, you think, I need a four-wheel drive, but how often does that happen? So I tried to get my truck out, and I got my truck stuck trying to get it out of my driveway. And it was just sitting there spinning on ice because our whole driveway was ice. And what I love, here's what I'm talking about, learning from others. This is what I love about Tennessee. One of my neighbors, I, I didn't know this neighbor. I'd never met this neighbor. They're just a neighbor. When you live out in the country, even a neighbor that lives half a mile, a mile from you, they're a neighbor. And my neighbor saw me out there. I had my shovel trying to dig out the snow and ice under my tires. And he was driving his four-wheel drive down the road, just cruising. 
And he saw me and he said, do you need a tug? I said, what? He said, I think if I just give you a little tug with my four-wheel drive, we'll get that thing unstuck and you'll be clear, good to go. I said, brother, I'll take a tug. <laughs> Anything is better than shoveling snow and ice. I mean, I'd already shoveled off the, the little concrete area up near the house. And uh, he pulled that four-wheel drive up, showed me how to put it around my, my, my truck, and, uh, and then he just barely backed up. You need to help me. Well, it was effortless. And then, as, as good country neighbors are prone to do, then he proceeded to undo the chain that we'd used and stand out there and talk to me about an hour about what he had done. Even though I was trying to get the truck unstuck so I could go somewhere, I got to talk to my neighbor, and I learned so much. First of all, I got to meet a new neighbor. And, and secondly, I learned so much just about life, about driving and this kind of stuff, about techniques. So listen every day. By the way, listen to great podcasts. When I was growing up, you had to pay for every piece of material you got. It was either, at first it was a cassette tape, then it was a CD, right? And today you can listen to the greatest speakers in the world via podcast totally free. I'm amazed. Next bullet, think every day. Here's what I mean. Some of us, th this is the rub. Some of us, we read and we listen and we never take time to think about what we just read or listened to. And that's why we don't see improvement. Here's where the change, change comes. It just happened to me this week. I listened to John Mark Comer, terrific pastor, preach about identity. I was running while I was listening, so I couldn't take notes. But I, I gave myself several voice tests. Look this up. Find this quote. Check this out. And as soon as I finished that run, I came into my house, sat down, and before I lost it, I wrote down what Comer had told me about the importance of identity. And I just thought about it. I thought about the difference that this can make in my life. Here's the next bullet. Brings us to what I actually did in that moment. Write every day. I write something every day. Remember I told you about reading the Bible? You don't have to do it this way. But as I read the Bible, I keep an open journal. And when God speaks to me, I put it down. Next bullet, file every day. Here's what I mean. Develop a system for tracking the thoughts, the insights God gives you. Right now, I'm really into something called Evernote. I've got so many files in Evernote, I've tagged them with hundreds of tags. And before I came to speak to you, you know what? I didn't have to go back and find that quote about, oh, what was it? Growth. I just type into my search engine in Evernote, growth. It brings up everything I filed in there. At, at, you know how I used to file? The hard way. I had those manila file folders. And you had to photocopy it. You had to clip it. You had to put it in there. And then you likely could never get it all in there. This makes it so simple. 
here's the six, connect with growing people regularly. People are some of your best opportunities for growth. Okay, let's go on and finish this up. Three, the timing gap is not the right time to begin. Let me tell you when the right time is. Now. The law of diminishing increase, you'll read about it this week in law number one. The longer you wait to do something you should do now, the greater the odds are that you will never actually do it. Take action tonight. Four, the mistake gap. I'm afraid of making mistakes. It's not if you will fail. You will fail. Try anyway. Here's the fifth. The fifth, the perfection gap. I have to find the best way before I start. This is a recipe for paralysis. By the way, I'm prone to battles with perfection and perfectionism. Let me just say, this is a battle that I consciously work against. Why? Because perfectionism, it squelches all creativity. It kills community. It withers away relationships. Don't wait until you've got the perfect system. Just start. Remember what God said in the Old Testament. For God rejoices just to see the work begin. Six, the inspiration gap. I don't feel like doing it. Some people are waiting till they're inspired before they do something for God. Let me just say, take action. Feelings are a horrible engine. They might make for a good hardness caboose coming up behind us to affirm right decisions and right actions, but they're a terrible engine. Value ought to be our engine. Calling, purpose, identity, that ought to be our engine. Seven, the comparison gap. Other people are better than I am. Comparison, comparison is a killer. This is why Galatians 6 verse 4 challenges us. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Eight. The expectation gap. I thought it would be easier. Growth is difficult. But, but I will tell you, once you commit to it, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Now, I follow a variety of people, and uh, one of those individuals is a guy by the name of David Goggins. And let, let me just say, when I put that name out there, please don't look him up. <laughs> and, and I really do mean that. He, he really does use extreme language. Really does. Here, here's why, here's why I, I follow him. A very close friend of mine said to me, Chris, you need to read this book. And it was a book called, uh, I think, Deep Purpose. Deep Purpose, I think that's the name of the book. And I got the book because this friend, MDiv student, loved Jesus with all of his heart, said, you need to read this book. It's, it's important. It's worth your time. So I dug into the book, and I want, I want to tell you, I almost didn't make it out of the introductory chapter. Because Goggins describes his childhood. He was raised by an incredibly abusive father. In fact, the phrase, you can't hurt me, came from an experience he had one night 
where his father was beating his mother. And Goggins, as a child, got between mom and dad, and dad started beating on David. And he would beat on David until David would go down to the ground. David would pick himself up in a bloody mess, look back at his dad, flip his dad off his mom, and say, you can't hurt me. And this went on and on and on. His mother was able to rescue him from that environment, but as a single mom, they had a very, very, very difficult life. At 18 years of age, David Goggins weighed 297 pounds, incredibly out of shape. He said in his book that he felt so worthless that the only job he felt worthy of. By the way, I'm not speaking derivatively of this form of employment. I'm speaking to you what David said. The only job he felt worthy of was a nighttime midnight exterminator. He would go into places of business, business like restaurants after hours when nobody was around and take care of their severe customers. He said, that's, that's all I felt I was worthy of. Not to be seen, not to be heard, not to be noticed, not to be engaged with anywhere. And then one day he looked in the mirror and saw a really tall man, but 297 pounds. And David said, I started talking hard truth to myself. And he began saying some really difficult things to that mirror. And he determined that he was going to run. He determined he was going to run a mile. He went out the door. He couldn't even make it 300 feet. Collapsed. Came back, looked in that mirror, spoke hard truth. Went out the next day, ran a little further. The next day, ran a little further. The next day, ran a little further. Then he determined this. I'm going to become a Navy SEAL. On his third attempt, after getting physically disqualified on the first two attempts because of some bodily injury, his third attempt, still with a physical injury, he didn't report it, but finished the training, became an elite Navy SEAL, served admirably as a U.S. Navy SEAL for years. After he finished his time as a Navy SEAL came out and said, you know what I want to do? I want to be an Army Ranger because I'd like to be a paratrooper and parachute into difficult situations and serve my country that way. Does anybody know how difficult it is to become either one of those, a Navy SEAL or an Army Ranger? He did both. After he finished his time with armed services, he decided he was going to become not just a marathoner, but an ultra-marathoner. Today, he's probably competed more ultra-marathons than any walking human. Furthermore, this man holds the world record for the most pull-ups in a 24-hour period. He did over 4,000, and I forget how many pull-ups, in 24 hours. Why am I telling you all of this? Because the journey was hard. It was difficult. But if you were to interview David Goggins today, he would tell you that he believes. In fact, he's got some, some theology on pain that isn't biblical. He believes that pain is a purifying agent in your life. 
that it gets rid of all kinds of ugly things and makes you more available to be used. While I wouldn't go to his extreme, what I would tell you, anything that is worthwhile will be difficult, but it's always worth it. Let me just fill in this blank. Preparation. You know, sometimes we look at people and say, you're just so lucky. Here's what it is. Preparation. You could put in that parentheses growth. Plus attitude. Plus opportunity. Plus action. That's doing something about it like David Goggins did. Well, that equals luck. (laughs) Take some action. So. Let's make the transition to intentional growth. Let me fill in the blanks. Ask the big question now is the first blank. Ask the big question. What is the big question? The big question, some of you are thinking, how long will this take? That's not the right question. The big question is this. How far can I go? In other words, what's my potential? Here's what I believe. I believe that there are people in this room your potential would not only stun you, but it would stun everyone around you. If you could get a glimpse of what God sees when he looks at you, it would stun you. And then if you were to lean into that, it would likely stun everyone around you. <laughs> Do it now. Don't procrastinate. Three, face the fear factor. It's impossible to remove fear from your life, but if you will face your fear and intentionally lean into it with faith, that doesn't mean the fear goes away, but if you lean into whatever you're afraid of with faith that I can't, but God can, you'll be amazed what he'll do. Here's four, change from accidental to intentional growth. And I gave you a chart there that shows the difference between the two. Accidental growth plans to start tomorrow. Intentional growth insists on starting today. Accidental growth waits for growth to come. Intentional growth takes complete responsibility for it. Accidental growth learns only from mistakes. Intentional growth often learns before mistakes. Accidental growth depends on good luck. Intentional growth relies on hard work. Accidental growth quits early and often. Intentional growth perseveres long and hard. Accidental falls into bad habits. Intentional fights for good ones. Accidental talks big. Intentional follows through. Accidental plays it safe. Intentional takes a risk. Accidental growth thinks like a victim. Intentional thinks like a learner. Accidental relies on talent. Intentional relies on character. Accidental stops learning after graduation. Intentional never stops growing. And that's law number one. How many of you think you're going to have fun in law number one? As you read that book, grade yourself. Ask yourself, how am I doing? Let's get a glimpse of law number two. And uh, let me just introduce you to it, and then we'll go to law number three and then do a Q&A. 
Law number two, the law of awareness. You must know yourself to grow yourself. Personal growth is not a one-size-fits-all strategy for self-improvement. For personal growth to be sustainable, not feel like a chore, it must be fueled by purpose, your purpose. To reach your potential, you must know where you hope to go in life. Until you have a destination in mind, your attempts to grow will resemble a car spinning its tires in the mud or on the ice. Without traction, action gets you nowhere. So let me, let me talk about how to determine your purpose. Do you have a sense of direction? To grow yourself, you need to know the following four things. Your strengths. What are you good at? I've recommended two books for you in your notes to learn more about the unique way God wired you up. Number two, your weaknesses. What are you not good at? You know, I told you I'm not into sports, but let me let you know why I'm not into sports. Because I'm not good at it. I could work at being a great football player every day, seven days a week, eight or ten hours a day. And I could have done this when I'm much younger. Some of you are thinking, yeah, you're too old right now. I know that, but it wouldn't have helped if I were 30 and did this. I just don't have that athletic gene. I could have worked at being a great basketball player. It's just not going to happen. In other words, I know that these are limitations. Instead of attempting to do something I'm not good at, I, I reconciled. I'm not really athletic. Now, I can jog, but if you and I were to go on a jog together, you're likely going to outpace me because I'm not fast. But I admit that and move on. Know your weaknesses. Three, know your interests. What do you care about? What, what are you passionate about? You, you know the reason um, I can leave theology and it not be boring? I mean, you, you, you might listen to John Mark Comer and, and think, what in the world was he getting out of this? Another one of my favorite speakers, Tim Keller. I, I listen to Tim all the time. Sometimes I have to listen to him four times before I understand what he's saying. Tim's gone on to be with Jesus now. I love the work of Jordan Peterson. I've read two of his books. I've attended live seminars with him. I've listened to dozens of podcasts. I don't always understand what Jordan is saying, but I'm fired by the discussion. I'm even fired when I, when I get a glimpse of a concept and I've got to work on it. It's like, oh, I think I'm getting it, but I've, I've got to work on it more. Find out what interests you. Lean into those interests. It's likely they were God-given. Four, know what your opportunities are. What are the opportunities before you right now? And anybody here want to get more opportunities? Then do this. Walk through the door of opportunity that's open before you right now. I'll tell you a little story. So when I experienced a significant life change, not too long ago, moved to Cleveland, Tennessee. It's going on a couple of years now. One of the first things I started doing was meeting with leaders. Leaders that 
that, that I had a connection with, trying to reconnect a little bit because I'd been gone for a long time. And I called Brian Cutshaw, asked Brian Cutshaw, Dr. Brian Cutshaw, to meet with me. And he was so gracious we couldn't do it as soon as I would have liked because his schedule was packed. But, but let, let, me just, let me just give you a caveat right there. That's where some people get offended. They call and someone is booked or they just don't have time for little people like me. And then they would rather pout and whine like a victim as say, no, you know what? That person is likely really, really busy. It's okay. In God's timing, if we're to connect, God will open that door. Change your story. And God opened the door for me to meet with Dr. Brian Cutshaw and came over and met with him. And the Lord, we, we had done things together before. I'd spoken uh, for revival services for him. And Dr. Cutshaw looked at me and he said, well, you know what? I need to have you in the OCIs. We're going to get you on the couch. And he booked me on the couch. And uh, then he had me do a marriage conference. We just concluded that two weeks ago. And I keep, I got reports today, two different reports, a text and an in-person report of miracles God did in, in that marriage conference. Thank you, Teresa. But, but here's what I mean by take the next opportunity. Speaking at OCI wouldn't solve my problem. I had to remake a career from scratch. And one night in a great, a great uh, place wasn't going to change things. But you know what you do? You take the next opportunity God gives. And I went and spoke for Dr. Brian Cutshaw. Didn't feel like I really did well at all. I, I felt like it was a failure. I, I came out of there and beat myself up for the next three days. And, uh, but, but I didn't beat myself up about this. Because as soon as I stepped off the stage and walked into the green room and said, hey, I need to step into that restroom, Dr. Bean said, well, I'm going to walk in there with you. And I'm like, I'm, I'm already uncomfortable. <laughs> but little did I know that there was like a waiting room before you got to the restroom. I wasn't aware of the design of the restroom. <laughs> so I walked into that waiting room now that I know. Waiting room. I felt instantly much more comfortable. <laughs> and Dr. Brian looked at me and he said, hey, you know what I did today? I have sat down for about six to eight hours of interview after interview looking for a managing editor. And I can't hire anybody that I interviewed today. Some of them, I found out, they, they don't even know the Lord. They can't work for a Christian college and not have a relationship with Jesus and not be a student of God's word. He said, I don't know if this is going to resonate or connect, but while you were speaking, I just felt the Lord say, that guy's a writer. That guy might be interested. You need to have a conversation and ask him, does he want to be a part of your team? Now, he just presented it to me, and I didn't know what to say. I was sort of stunned. I didn't know what a managing editor was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I just responded the best I could. Hey, what if you do this? What if you create a job description and email that to me? Let me read through it. Let me pray about it. And you know, you know what's amazing? What he asked me to do is what I love to do. I mean, I do it every day, whether I'm working for him or working for myself. It's what I live to do. If I had not taken that opportunity to speak at OCI, if before that, if I would not been patient when Dr. B said, I'm so sorry, we're right here at the Christmas season and Thanksgiving, and I'm just not going to be able to fit you in until the next year. If I'd gotten patient and said, well, you know what? That's just not a man of God there. He can't make, you know what? I would have missed an opportunity where I'm getting to grow and flourish every day. But if you want a great opportunity, step through the next opportunity. Who knows what that will lead you to? Let me give you this blank and then let's pause right where we are. To reach your full potential, you must know where you are and where you want to be. Where you are right now and where you want to be. If you want to grow, you need to know something about yourself. Now go on over in your notes. And I, want, I know you've got a lot of blanks there. And it's okay, believe me. You're going to fill in the blanks of the reading. And if you don't want to fill in the blanks of the reading, reach out to Pastor Rhonda. We'll make that PDF available that's got all the blanks available because your teacher was so long-winded. Here's law number three. The law of the mirror. Here's what I determined when I read this law. I'm so much into this. You must see value in yourself to add value to yourself. You must see value in yourself to add value to yourself. When I looked at this, I was aware from looking at it that I would not be adequately able to cover the content tonight. But this is all about identity. It is about getting an understanding of your identity. And I want to add, while Maxwell's writing for a broader audience, I want to add as a son or daughter of the Most High King. So steps to building. He calls it self-esteem. I believe it's identity. Let me, let me fill in the blanks. Guard your self-talk. Do you see that? This is so critical to me. I fought an ongoing battle with depression for several years. Self-talk is critical. That's why almost every day I do a series of declarations based on God's word. I have to. Two, stop comparing yourself to others. Three, move beyond your limiting beliefs. Four, add value to others. One of the best ways you can improve your sense of identity is by serving others. There's something amazing about serving someone else that does something inwardly to you. Five, do the right thing even if it's the hard thing. When you do right action, it has a way of coming up behind you and affirming you and saying, that's it, you're made for more. Six, practice a small discipline daily in a specific area of your life. 
a small discipline. And if you want to read a great book about discipline, read James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, one of the top five books I've read. And he talks about taking small steps and how they lead to larger steps. Seven, celebrate even small victories. Eight, embrace a positive vision for your life based on what you value. Nine, by the way, this is in Maxwell's book. And we did this before we heard Maxwell talk about it. Practice the one word strategy. And you can read the quote I gave you that Maxwell quotes by Kevin Hall related to a one word strategy. Ten, take responsibility for your life. Pete Scazzaro, it's not in John's book, but I gave you the quote. He writes, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectation for us. This does, writes Pastor Pete, violence to ourselves in our relationship with God and ultimately to others. Lean into the unique identity God has given you. Now, that gives you an overview of the first three chapters of this book. That's your reading assignment for next week. Read the first three chapters. Let me give you the outlay of where we're going to go. After we read three to finish in four weeks, what we're going to have to do after that is read four chapters after each of the next few weeks. Okay? So we'll read four. By the way, the chapters are easy to read. They're short. They're not long. I do think they're profound. There's, there's plenty in there that you can, you can think, talk for days. But let me stop right there, and let me just ask God, God, would you seal what we've shared? Would you take even my rushing through some of the material, particularly law number two, and as people lead, ignite something in their minds so that they get so much more out of it than I was able to get through tonight. We, we give this, we submit it to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's what we, we, we're going to do for like eight minutes or may, maybe no minutes if you don't have any questions. I'm not going to make you ask questions. But if you'd like to have a dialogue, I would love to discuss if something lit up to you and you just want to share what lit up to you or maybe you have a question I'd love to do that so who wants to be first somebody maybe an extrovert break the ice for us yes Thank you. Is it uh, Chris, Christine? Christine, Christine, that's something that my wife and I really, really believe because there are some areas of our life where if we if we keep repeating the same story that the evil one wants to plant there, it keeps us stuck. But God wants to write a different story. I'll give you this example. This is the way I think of it. You read the story of Abraham and Sarah. When you read the Genesis account of Abraham and Sarah that gives us just the raw bones account, 
do they, in, in the Genesis account, look like stellar people of faith? I mean, you've got Abraham lying about Sarah. You've got, you've got uh, him having an affair with Hagar. You, you've got him taking matters into his own hands. Here's why I believe this is a biblical principle. Because when we get to Romans 4 and when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, when God tells, in those chapters, God is telling Abraham and Sarah's story. And God says, they stumbled not. I'm like, are you reading the same book, God? And he said, no, I'm reading my book. And this is how I see them, this side of the cross. They stumbled not. So that's why I believe it's a biblical principle. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. What's your name? Hey, Misty. I believe that with all of my my uh, heart, Misty. We go and we minister almost monthly at a Christian mental health ward. And one of the things that we talk about a lot there is the correlation between thoughts that become beliefs or belief systems much stronger than thoughts that can, if left unattended, develop into strongholds that really can impact our life. So us managing those from the get-go, or at least arresting those, and I think that's why Paul, 2 Corinthians 10, tells us that. The weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshly, they're mighty. They can tear down any stronghold, take captive any thought that exalts itself above. So I love that you're putting that to practice, in, in your practice. Yay, God. Somebody else, Ooh, that's good interaction. Yes, what's your name? Pastor Todd Nicholson. question. Uh, counseling has been huge in that area. Uh, we have a Christian counselor. His name is Dr. Michael. And the first time I saw Dr. Michael, and Pastor Todd, this may be something you want to do because uh, it was life-changing to me. First time I walked in, he knew instantly some of my issues. And he said, I want you to read this book. And he gave me a book called The Cure. The Cure. What if God isn't who you think he is and neither are you? It's written by three guys, McNeil, Thrall, and somebody else. I can't remember the third guy's name, McNeil, Thrall, and something else. I went home that day. I read the book that day. I've read that book probably five times. I keep going back to it because it, it gives this awareness. See, all my perfectionism was driven through, and I think part of it was formed in a really classical Pentecostal environment that was filled with legalism, if I really met expectations that made God smile, if I in any way sinned, if I died, 
before I repented of that sin, I probably would go to hell. And by the way, I'm not even joking about that. That's how serious I took it. That's really how. So it makes you performance oriented. And I live that. And that book is all about how God relates to us through Christ, not because of our performance and our perfectionism. And every time I would go back to Dr. Michael, he would challenge me on my tendency because I carried that over into my pastoring and into being a husband. And it affected my ability to relate on so many levels. So that book has become a sin. And by the way, it's easy to read. It's told in the form of a parable, then with principles applied. And it was so helpful to me. And then Dr. Michael helping me as well. So when I get out of sorts, my wife will notice that. And while she's not the Holy Spirit, she, she has said to me before, hey, you might want to talk to Dr. Michael. And she doesn't say it judgmentally. She doesn't say it. You might need to go back and talk to Dr. Michael. And I do need those periodic, regular adjustments because something about being accountable to someone. And then, you know what I, what I also have developed is a great brotherhood. Tomorrow morning, I'm eating breakfast with my three brothers. Now, uh, pastor, so many of you know my brothers. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you the joke somebody said to me <laughs> about my brother when I entered. Uh, it would take too much explanation. <laughs> but my brothers love me so much, but they're not impressed by me. So th they, will, they will whoop me, like, and they're all bigger than me. So they can whoop me. Like one of them broke my ribs once wrestling with me, turkey. So we stopped wrestling after that incident. I mean, so, you know, meeting with them regularly, it just, it, it's so helpful to me to be around them because... We talk about life, and uh, can I be really, really vulnerable here, Miss Rhonda? Because this is slightly inappropriate. Okay. Uh, so, so I, I walked into that breakfast one day, and uh, and I was really overwhelmed, thinking about some ministerial issues that occurred in the past, uh, and where the evil one was just browbeating me with the with the mistakes that I had made and. What it, what it had cost me. And uh, I sat there and talked, and my brother Kelly, Rhonda will appreciate this. He, he, looked, he looked back at me and said, dude, at some point you just got to LTFTS. And, and I, I, I look off like that, and I'm like, I like I, I, what, what does that even mean? He said, you got to LTS you, Pastor. And I'm still confused. I've, I've not got any help at all. And then he just spells it out. He says, you've got to let that. And he says a word. I'll say stuff. He did not say stuff. He said the barnyard word. You've got to let that stuff go. I started dying laughing because we, we don't curse. And I don't know that that's a curse word, but we don't curse. And it was so funny to me that he said that. And, and seriously, I know this will sound odd. It was like the Holy Spirit sat down with us at that table. And it was like I could hear Paul in Philippians 3 when he says all this stuff I once counted as gain. It's now dung. The Greek word is spugula, which means stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that really helps me. How about one more and then it's time to go? Is, is there one more? That was that was great. One more thought. 
Oh, yes, back there. Thank you for sharing that. And by the way, welcome, welcome, welcome to an awesome church family. Praise the Lord. Yeah, right in front of you. What is your name? Nish. Nish, that is exactly the thesis of James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits. He says this, for instance, talking about those small steps. He says if your goal is, is to begin working out in 2024, he says here's what I want you to do for the next few weeks. I want you to drive to the gym every day. What do I do after that? You drive to the gym. You sit right outside the gym. Just sit there for five minutes. He says it gets you in the habit again. Then you go in and you do another small thing. And, and his whole thesis is built. And what we see, another guy by the name of B.J. Fogg wrote a, whole book, wrote a whole book on it called Tiny Habits. And both of them, and both of these guys are like bigwigs in terms of their intellect. They agree with your thesis that it's just a tiny step. But if you do that every day... That's why for me, morning time with God is so important because every day I know I'm going to do that. And that tiny step has now become habitual and a way of life. So maybe, maybe your tiny step is to pour the cup of coffee in the morning, sit down and just everything and every moment I surrender to you. Everything and every moment I surrender to you. And then maybe it's reading that verse of the day in the Bible app. And that, what is that, five minutes? It doesn't have to be extraordinary, but you get yourself into a habit, and you'll be amazed at what happens. Guys, I've really enjoyed week number one. We'll do week number two next week. We're excited. Pastor Rhonda, let me invite you back up. Thank you all. Amen. Can we give Pastor Chris a hand? going to, um, you, if you don't have that book, you can get the PDF, you're going to fill in your things. This is like a semester, you realize that? I told you, this is why I think it was spaced out being better than a whole weekend. But we learned, uh, Pastor Chris, um, in the little time that I've known him through the years, one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met. He just, it just rolls right off of him what he knows. 